Chapter 4, Part 2 of Hilda Wade. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Hilda Wade, A Woman with Tenacity of Purpose by Grant Allen. Chapter 4, Part 2 later in the evening as we were walking home towards nathaniel's together i asked hilda why she had spoken throughout with such unwavering confidence oh it was simple enough she answered there were two things that helped me through which i didn't like to mention in detail before lena one was this the legates have all of them an instinctive horror of the sight of blood therefore they almost never commit suicide by shooting themselves or cutting their throats marcus who shot himself in the gun-room was an exception to both rules he never minded blood he could cut up a deer but hugo refused to be a doctor because he could not stand the sight of an operation and even as a sportsman he never liked to pick up or handle the game he had shot himself he said it sickened him he rushed from that room last night, I feel sure, in a physical horror at the deed he had done, and by now he is as far as he can get from London. The sight of his act drove him away, not craven fear of an arrest. If the legates kill themselves, a seafaring race on the whole, their impulse is to trust to water. And uh, the other thing? Well that was about the mountaineer's homing instinct i have often noticed it i could give you fifty instances only i didn't like to speak of them before lena there was williams for example the doll jelly man who killed a gamekeeper at petworth in a poaching affray he was taken on cader idris skulking among rocks a week later then there was that unhappy young fellow mackinnon who shot his sweetheart at Leicester. He made straight as the crow flies for his home in the Isle of Skye, and there drowned himself in familiar waters. Lindner, the Tyrolese again, who stabbed the American swindler at Monte Carlo, was tracked after a few days to his native place, St. Valentine in the Zillertal. It is always so. Mountaineers in distress fly to their mountains. It is a part of their nostalgia. I know it from within, too. If I were in poor Hugo Legate's place, what do you think I would do? Why, hide myself at once in the greenest recesses of our Carnarvonshire mountains. What an extraordinary insight into character you have, I cried. You seem to divine what everybody's action will be under given circumstances. She paused and held her parasol half-poised in her hand. "'Character determines action,' she said slowly at last. "'That is the secret of the great novelists. They put themselves behind and within their characters, and so make us feel that every act of their personages is not only natural, but even, given the conditions, inevitable.' we recognize that their story is the sole logical outcome of the interaction of their dramatis personae now i am not a great novelist i cannot create and imagine characters and situations 
but i have something of the novelist's gift i apply the same method to the real life of the people around me i try to throw myself into the person of others and to feel how their character will compel them to act in each set of circumstances to which they may expose themselves in one word i said you are a psychologist a psychologist she assented i suppose so and the police well the police are not they are at best but bungling materialists they require a clue what need of a clue if you can interpret character so certain was hilda wade of her conclusions indeed that mrs mallet begged me next day to take my holiday at once which i could easily do and go down to the little bay in the heartland district of which she had spoken in search of hugo i consented she herself proposed to set out quietly for bidford where she could be within easy reach of me in order to hear of my success or failure while hilda wade whose summer vacation was to have begun in two days time offered to ask for an extra day's leave so as to accompany her the broken-hearted sister accepted the offer and secrecy being above all things necessary we set off by different routes the two women by waterloo myself by paddington we stopped that night at different hotels in bidford but next morning hilda rode out on her bicycle and accompanied me on mine for a mile or two along the tortuous way towards heartland take nothing for granted she said as we parted and be prepared to find poor hugo legate's appearance greatly changed he has eluded the police and their clues so far therefore i imagine he must have largely altered his dress and exterior i will find him i answered if he is anywhere within twenty miles of heartland she waved her hand to me in farewell i rode on after she left me towards the high promontory in front the wildest and least visited part of north devon torrents of rain had fallen during the night the slimy cart ruts and cattle tracks on the moor were brimming with water it was a lowering day the clouds drifted low black peat bogs filled the hollows grey stone homesteads lonely and forbidding stood out here and there against the curved skyline even the high road was uneven and in places flooded for an hour i passed hardly a soul at last near a crossroad with a defaced finger-post i descended from my machine and consulted my ordnance map on which mrs mallet had marked ominously with a cross of red ink the exact position of the little fishing hamlet where hugo used to spend his holidays i took the turning which seemed to me most likely to lead to it but the tracks were so confused and the run of the lanes so uncertain let alone the map being some years out of date that i soon felt i had lost my bearings by a little wayside inn half hidden in a deep comb with bog on every side i descended and asked for a bottle of ginger beer for the day was hot and close in spite of the packed clouds as they were opening the bottle i inquired casually the way to the red gap bathing place the landlord gave me directions which confused me worse than ever ending at last with a concise remark 
and then sir two or three more turns to the right and to the left all bring ye right up alongside oot i despaired of finding the way by these unintelligible sailing orders but just at that moment as luck would have it another cyclist flew past the first soul i had seen on the road that morning he was a man with the loose-knit air of a shop assistant badly got up in a rather loud and obtrusive tourist suit of brown homespun with baggy knickerbockers and thin thread stockings i judged him a gentleman on the cheap at sight very stylish this suit complete only thirty-seven and sixpence the landlady glanced out at him with a friendly nod he turned and smiled at her but did not see me for i stood in the shade behind the half-open door he had a short black moustache and a not unpleasing careless face his features i thought were better than his garments however the stranger did not interest me just then i was far too full of more important matters why don't he taken follock thick there gentlemen sir the landlady said pointing one large red hand after him er to go down to erdgap to swim every morning mr jan smith o oxford they do call un he can't go wrong if he do follow un to the gap er's lodging to the world warmer moors and er's that fond of the say the fishermen do tell me as wasn't never any gentleman like un i tossed off my ginger beer jumped on to my machine and followed the retreating brown back of mr john smith of oxford surely a most non-committing name round sharp corners and over rutty lanes tired deep in mud across the rusty red moor till all at once at a turn a gap of stormy sea appeared wedge-shaped between two shelving rock walls it was a lonely spot rocks hemmed it in big breakers walled it the sou'wester roared through the gap i rode down among loose stones and water-worn channels in the solid grit very carefully but the man in brown had torn over the wild path with reckless haste zigzagging madly and was now on the little three-cornered patch of beach undressing himself with a sort of careless glee and flinging his clothes down anyhow on the shingle beside him something about the action caught my eye that movement of the arm it was not it could not be no no not hugo a very ordinary person and legate bore the stamp of a born gentleman he stood up bare at last he flung out his arms as if to welcome the boisterous wind to his naked bosom then with a sudden burst of recognition the man stood revealed we had bathed together a hundred times in london and elsewhere the face the clad figure the dress all were different but the body the actual frame and make of the man the well-knit limbs the splendid trunk no disguise could alter it was legate himself big powerful vigorous that ill-made suit those baggy knickerbockers the slouch cap the thin thread stockings had only distorted and hidden his figure now that i saw him as he was he came out the same bold and manly form as ever he did not notice me 
he rushed down with a certain wild joy into the turbulent water and plunging in with a loud cry buffeted the huge waves with those strong curving arms of his the sou'wester was rising each breaker as it reared caught him on its crest and tumbled him over like a cork but like a cork he rose again he was swimming now arm over arm straight out seaward i saw the lifted hands between the crest and the trough for a moment i hesitated whether i ought to strip and follow him was he doing as so many others of his house had done courting death from the water but some strange hand restrained me who was i that i should stand between hugo legate and the ways of providence the legates loved ever the ordeal by water presently he turned again before he turned i had taken the opportunity to look hastily at his clothes hilda wade had surmised the right once more the outer suit was a cheap affair from a big ready-made tailor's in st martin's lane turned out by the thousand the underclothing on the other hand was new and unmarked but fine in quality bought no doubt at bidford an eerie sense of doom stole over me i felt the end was near i withdrew behind a big rock and waited there unseen till hugo had landed he began to dress again without troubling to dry himself i drew a deep breath of relief then this was not suicide by the time he had pulled on his vest and drawers i came out suddenly from my ambush and faced him a fresh shock awaited me i could hardly believe my eyes it was not legate no nor anything like him nevertheless the man rose with a little cry and advanced half crouching towards me you are not hunting me down with the police he exclaimed his neck held low and his forehead wrinkling the voice the voice was legate's it was an unspeakable mystery hugo i cried dear hugo hunting you down could you imagine it he raised his head strode forward and grasped my hand forgive me cumberledge he cried but a proscribed and hounded man if you knew what a relief it is to me to get out on the water you forget all there i forget it the red horror you mean just now to drown yourself no if i had meant it i would have done it hubert for my children's sake i will not commit suicide then listen i cried i told him in a few words of his sister's scheme sebastian's defence the plausibility of the explanation the whole long story he gazed at me moodily yet it was not hugo no no he said shortly and as he spoke it was he i have done it i have killed her i will not owe my life to a falsehood not for the children's sake he dashed his hand down impatiently i have a better way for the children i will save them still hubert you are not afraid to speak to a murderer dear hugo i know all and to know all is to forgive all he grasped my hand once more know all he cried with a despairing gesture oh no 
no one knows all but myself not even the children but the children know much they will forgive me lena knows something she will forgive me you know a little you forgive me the world can never know it will brand my darlings as a murderer's children it was the act of a minute i interposed and though she is dead poor lady and one must speak no ill of her we can at least gather dimly for your children's sake how deep was the provocation he gazed at me fixedly his voice was like lead for the children's sake yes he answered as in a dream it was all for the children i have killed her murdered her she has paid her penalty and poor dead soul i will utter no word against her the woman i have murdered but one thing i will say if omniscient justice sends me for this to eternal punishment i can endure it gladly like a man knowing that so i have redeemed my marian's motherless girls from a deadly tyranny it was the only sentence in which he ever alluded to her i sat down by his side and watched him closely mechanically methodically he went on with his dressing the more he dressed the less could i believe it was hugo i had expected to find him close-shaven so did the police by their printed notices instead of that he had shaved his beard and whiskers but only trimmed his moustache trimmed it quite short so as to reveal the boyish corners of the mouth a trick which entirely altered his rugged expression but that was not all what puzzled me most was the eyes they were not hugo's at first i could not imagine why by degrees the truth dawned upon me his eyebrows were naturally thick and shaggy great overhanging growth interspersed with many of those stiff long hairs to which darwin called attention in certain men as surviving traits from a monkey-like ancestor in order to disguise himself hugo had pulled out all these coarser hairs leaving nothing on his brows but the soft and closely pressed coat of down which underlies the longer bristles in all such cases this had fully altered the expression of the eyes which no longer looked out keenly from their cavernous penthouse but being deprived of their relief had acquired a much more ordinary and less individual aspect from a good-natured but shaggy giant my old friend was transformed by his shaving and his costume into a well-fed and well-grown but not very colossal commercial gentleman hugo was scarcely six feet high indeed though by his broad shoulders and bushy beard he had always impressed one with such a sense of size and now that the hirsuteness had been got rid of and the dress altered he hardly struck one as taller or bigger than the average of his fellows we sat for some minutes and talked legate would not speak of clara and when i asked him his intentions he shook his head moodily i shall act for the best he said what of best is left to guard the dear children it was a terrible price to pay for their redemption but it was the only one possible and in a moment of wrath i paid it now i have to pay in turn myself i do not shirk it you will come back to london then and stand your trial i asked eagerly come back to london 
he cried with a face of white panic hitherto he had seemed to me rather relieved in expression than otherwise his countenance had lost its worn and anxious look he was no longer watching each moment over his children's safety come back to london and face my trial why did you think hubert it was the court or the hanging i was shirking no no not that but it the red horror i must get away from it to the sea to the water to wash away the stain as far from it that red pool as possible i answered nothing i left him to face his own remorse in silence at last he rose to go and held one foot undecided on his bicycle i leave myself in heaven's hands he said as he lingered it will require the ordeal is by water so i judged i answered tell lena this from me he went on still loitering that if she will trust me i will strive to do the best that remains for my darlings i will do it heaven helping she will know what to-morrow he mounted his machine and sailed off my eyes followed him up the path with sad forebodings all day long i loitered about the gap it consisted of two bays the one i had already seen and another divided from it by a saw edge of rock in the further cove crouched a few low stone cottages a broad-bottomed sailing-boat lay there pulled up high on the beach about three o'clock as i sat and watched two men began to launch it the sea ran high tide coming in the sou'wester still increasing in force to a gale at the signal staff on the cliff the danger cone was hoisted white spray danced in air big black clouds rolled up seething from windward low thunder rumbling a storm threatened one of the men was legate the other a fisherman he jumped in and put off through the surf with an air of triumph he was a splendid sailor his boat leapt through the breakers and flew before the wind with a mere rag of canvas dangerous weather to be out i exclaimed to the fisherman who stood with hands buried in his pockets watching him ah that'll be sure the man answered don't like the look o it but thick there gentleman is one o oxford he do tell me and they'm a main venturesome lot they college folk he's off by himself through the storm also var as lundy will he reach it i asked anxiously having my own idea on the subject don't seem like it sir do it or mustn't or mustn't and yit again or must powerful odd place er be to make in a storm to be sure lundy said the lord would decide but or wouldn't be warned or wouldn't and foolhardy folk as the sanis must go their own foolhardy way to perdition it was the last i saw legate alive next morning the lifeless body of the man who was wanted for the campton hill mystery was cast up by the waves on the shore of lundy the lord had decided hugo had not miscalculated luck in their suicides hilda wade said and strange to say the luck 
of the legate stood him in good stead still by a miracle of fate his children were not branded as a murderer's daughters sebastian gave evidence at the inquest on the wife's body self-inflicted a recoil accidental i am sure of it his specialist knowledge his assertive certainty combined with that arrogant masterful manner of his and his keen eagle eye overbore the jury aved by the great man's look they brought in a submissive verdict of death by misadventure the coroner thought it a most proper finding mrs mallet had made the most of the innate legate horror of blood the newspapers charitably surmised that the unhappy husband crazed by the instantaneous unexpectedness of his loss had wandered away like a madman to the scenes of his childhood and had there been drowned by accident while trying to cross a stormy sea to lundy under some wild impression that he would find his dead wife alive on the island nobody whispered murder everybody dwelt on the utter absence of motive a model husband such a charming young wife and such a devoted stepmother we three alone knew we three and the children on the day when the jury brought in their verdict at the adjourned inquest on mrs legate hilda wade stood in the room trembling and white-faced awaiting their decision when the foreman uttered the words death by misadventure she burst into tears of relief he did well she cried to me passionately he did well that poor father he placed his life in the hands of his maker asking only for mercy to his innocent children and mercy has been shown to him and to them he was taken gently in the way he wished it would have broken my heart for those two poor girls if the verdict had gone otherwise he knew how terrible a lot it is to be called a murderer's daughter i did not realize at the time with what profound depth of personal feeling she said it end of chapter 4 part 2 read by lars rolander